let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and we're back in your ears once again. The beer is in the glass, and we are ready to go, aren't we, Martin? We are, Steve, and uh, looking forward to the beer. But before that, let's introduce our guest. Hello, Melissa. Hello. How are we doing? Welcome to Opinions, Melissa. It's lovely to have you on. Um, eventually, after eight and a half years of doing this podcast, we've, we've finally, yeah, finally managed to align our diaries and, and get you to come on with us. In fact, I think the mad thing is, I think you asked me very early doors, and then I don't, I don't think either of us gave it a second thought ever since before we suddenly went, oh. We haven't done that yet. And we do already have a beer in, in glass. Uh, we've got some beers this evening that have been kindly sent to us by Alex at Lost and Grounded. And we are starting off with their brand new Hells. Um, I think we should just dive into this and, and, and have a taste. So cheers. 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 Yeah, it's, it's a Hellas. You've got to love it. It just goes down easy. Did anyone expect anything different from Lost and Grounded? It's delicious. It is. It's um. It's really refreshing. It's it's so crisp as 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 well on that finish, and and that, and that's what really does it is that crispness at the end that that really lifts that refreshing note on it. I'm going to be buying mini kegs of this for barbecues this summer. That's for sure. Oh, I, I think they're going to do very well with this this year. Yeah, I always find their their lagers are so clean as well. So you've got that crispness, Steve, but there's a real clean feeling to it, and you know, there's this, what I don't know, slightly lemony flavour to it um but the balance of it is just superb um yeah it's going to be another one of those beers steve that's going to evaporate certainly from the glasses yeah and only 4.4 percent as well so a little bit on the lighter side so so i think as melissa said there this is this is definitely going to be a barbecue beer this summer for a lot of people i think yeah, yeah. i think it's probably an intelligent thing to do as well for the on trade as well as as, as lager comes full circle for the craft community and people are getting into really good lagers again um you know there's always there has always been a very odd thing about the uk population is uh, they do like to have what used to be known as standard and premium lagers but um really it's just lower abv lager and slightly slightly higher abv lager yeah definitely and i'm all for sessionable pints of this kind of lager now melissa uh, we did say on, on, on our last show when we trowed that you were going to be on the show with us this evening that, that we wasn't going to go in depth into your backstory because people should know really a little bit of, about you because you were one of the uh, the early pioneers of, of craft beer in, in, in the UK. So what we're going to ask you to do is basically give us your elevator pitch. Tell, tell us all about you in the time that it would take to go to the 15th floor of a, of a building. Uh, I am a beer writer. I was, I was really the first female full-time beer writer in the UK. Um, I have written four books. I'm working on my fifth. Uh, and I am very passionate about beer and food pairing, not only because I'm always thirsty, I'm always hungry, but, but actually because I genuinely believe that it's a really good way, not only for you to enjoy beer in uh, both a fun and responsible manner, uh, but also I think it's a great way to get people into beer because um, a lot of people are more willing to experiment 
um, when they have some food involved as well, because it makes more sense because they have some touchstones. Um, I'm also a, um, I also try my very best to uh, campaign where I can for equality and diversity within the beer industry and generally a bit of an arsey, narky, pain in the arse and, you know, kind of I'll start a fight about anything if I think somebody's being a dick. I don't recall that last bit ever happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. I forgot Joyless Humorless Feminist. Um, <laughs> it's one, one, one of the many accolades that have just been, that have been bestowed upon me. I don't think we'd, uh, we've got a large enough bleep button for many of the others. <laughs> Um, now, now we're going to come back to the the, the, the beer and food, but I'm, I'm just a little bit interested. Just just going right back to the start. Prior to getting involved in beer, you were a journalist, wasn't wasn't you? Yeah, well, I mean, I still do do journalism, just along along the beer fronts. I was actually I had to do some proper journalism, as I call it the, um, these days, um, the other week, and it came as a bit of a shock to the system. But anyway. Um, so yeah, I um, I've been doing journalism since I was fourteen. I'd been writing stuff for the school uh, in the local paper. I'd been, and then I started dabbling in uh, getting getting um, work experience. And then I was doing some freelancing from sixteen. Um, I had my first front page in the locals at seventeen, um, and then I went to university. And then I nearly had all my joy for journalism beaten out of me by a bunch of bitter old men. <laughs> That's another story. Um, and then when I left university, I was, I, I was, I was really disillusioned, actually. I was deeply disillusioned. Um, and then I, um, I came back and I found a job working for the pub trade paper, mostly by the expedient of every time the editor went out for a cigarette, he'd go and stand beside him going, I've got a degree in journalism, you know, nudging him in the ribs. I've got a degree in journalism, you know, I've got a degree in journalism, you know. Um, and uh, eventually they caved and gave me a job. And I realised how awesome it was because I was actually just working, in the, I was temping in the production department and then they uh, gave me a journalism job and the rest of they say is history. So, so was that the catalyst to obviously writing about beer was that that yeah. first kind of introduction to it or, or, or was there a moment where you first tried a particular beer and you was like wow I need to tell the world about this oh my epiphany beer was actually before I'd um, started working for um, the what was then known as the licensee and morning advertiser which was twice a week would you believe <laughs> heady days of print um, and uh, so actually I'd been working at a pub uh, university called in Preston called the Old Black Bull, which is um, incredibly well known for its cask in the, in town. Um, and uh, I didn't really know anything about cask beer. I was a I was a, a non discriminatory drunkard, as most students are. Um, and uh, I just wanted to, you know, drink whatever would get me sloshed. I could dance around in a club too. So working in this pub, um, there was a little lady who suddenly appeared after a couple of weeks and just was sort of bouncing around the bar and I was kind of looking left and right and going what the hell um who are you what, what why have I never seen you before what are you doing why are there buckets involved why are you clanking up and down the stairs what what is happening I mean I know I pull those and make beer come out but what's happening um anyway so she explained the whole thing and because it was a really quiet afternoon shift which I didn't normally work I think it must have been like half term or something um 
And uh, so she went, took me down to the cellar, showed me about tapping and venting and cellarmanship and, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, then she came back up and she went, oh, now's a good bit. This is actually one of my favourite breweries, even though they're from the wrong side of the Pennines. Um, this is uh, Rooster's Brewery and this is the cream and you want to try that. And that was it. That was my epiphany beer, Rooster's Cream. And then very shortly afterwards, I tried Kellermile and Pale Rider. And then I spent, pulled an all-nighter revising for my law exam because I got really bored of being told stuff that I'd been taught while I was on I was on the job years earlier. So I just crammed for the exam and never went to any of the lectures. So I stayed up all night cramming for the exam, did the exam, walked back into the old black ball, drank four pints of Kellam Island Pale Rider and slept slept for 36 hours. So yeah, really cemented it hard, cemented that love hard. <laughs> that's that's two good beers there that you've mentioned because when we spoke to Old from Roosters recently, cream came up as an epiphany beer for a couple of people. It's not a beer I've tried. I don't think you've tried it either. No, I've not you? come across that one. Um, obviously, Kellen Pale Rider, I think, definitely would feature for a few people. Oh, I love, um, I love that beer. That's, that's a bit of an stunning, iconic beer yeah. in, in the in the in Kellum as well. Having it, so um, I can definitely understand why those two would uh, live long in the memory, Melissa. Even if you did have to sleep it off. Yeah, I mean, they genuinely were my two epiphany beers, and what a lucky girl I am that that uh, the the list was so well create, uh, curated at the pub. Um, uh, I mean, I went. I was lucky. I went on to become mates with the late Dave Wicket, and um, I know Sean uh, Franklin, the former owner of Roosters, as well now. Um, uh, so they they were they were both duly hugged uh, very hard for, for for introducing me to beer, um, and very sweetly when um, Ol and Tom found out that Cream was my epiphany beer, they brought it back as a season. Yeah, you must have in in your time in, involved in writing about beer. You must have seen an absolute explosion, though, in in terms of the the amount of publications, blogs, podcasts, video, all, all of it. Because I mean, you mentioned back there that when when you first started, you were writing for actual printed articles in 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 a in a publication well, that not dead yet, you know. No, no I know, but <laughs> you, you, you said you said it came out twice a week, and I'm. I'm I'm assuming what you were referring to is the morning advertiser that now you get three or four emails a day yes. from them uh, yeah. updating you in terms of the news. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about actually the what was the licensee and morning advertiser is it used to be owned by what was known then as the Society of Licensed Victuallers. So it was actually um, not a commercial beast per se, although it more than washed its own face. It used to. It wasn't. I think it was only six years before I joined that actually it was five days a week. Um, it was based just off Old Street. Um, so, you know, it was a real, um, it's actually the second oldest paper in the country. Um, even Dickens wrote for it at some point. Mind you, he was a prolific freelancer, so he wrote for pretty much any newspaper that was open at the time, but he did actually work, he did actually write for the, uh, the morning advertisers. So it's actually, it's an incredibly historic paper. You must have seen this explosion in people getting involved in writing, and that there's that there's so many voices out there now that you could probably say that beer is probably as as well covered now as it's ever likely to be in in terms of all the different types of medium that there are as well to talk about it. I think it's easy to think that um, because we're in the bubble. Um, I wouldn't say that I 
agree entirely because it still isn't getting its rightful share. Um, and it's still being talked about by, by people who, who isn't their speciality. Now, what I will say is uh, I think it's, um, I think it's a show of tremendous intelligence and solidarity by female wine writers that they, they very frequently either say to their editors, beer isn't my space, or I know somebody who's an absolute expert and they step back to, or they actually, or they ring me up and say, listen, I'm sorry, they've told me I can't hand off my column can I just interview you? I'll plug, plug a book or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, no problems. Um, and uh, and but it's still not being not being said right. But but you wouldn't you wouldn't ask a beer writer to write about wine. But wine writers seem to be eminently qualified to write about beer. Um, and I think that that whilst it's it's fantastic, and I think there's a brilliant groundswell. I think the problem is that when it isn't hitting the mainstream, um, the it's fabulous to have the breadth and depth of blogs and podcasts, but what's the likelihood if you're not already interested in beer that you're going to go and seek them out? So the, the, it, it's both very, very, it's fantastic and I love it and I think it's brilliant and I think it just broadens the community and access points to it all the time. But there's a lot of work still to be done at the front lines of the, main, of the mainstream communication channels i think that's a good point though because the representation in mainstream is is as you say um often a someone you class as a wine specialist mm. may get asked their opinion but that sort of dovetails into that same we'll come on to later anyway with the whole food and food and food and drink mm. and the extensive extensive quality of the wine offerings versus the less than extensive quality of the beer offerings often I think there's a, a nice mirror and pairing of those two subjects anyway. Obviously, within this bubble that we inhabit of beer, everybody does kind of know everybody and you, you step outside of it and, and maybe people that aren't into beer maybe haven't heard of, of some of the things that we talk about. But certainly within beer, you are very, very well, well known for, for your writing um, and for your views and opinions. Um, but one of the things that, that, that I picked up on recently is that you're also a, a member of the Order of the Knights of the Brewer's Paddle. Yeah, um, so the Belgians being the Belgians, um, they have an order of the Knights of the, uh, of the Mashtaf. Um, and it's, um, it's a, you, you are in, welcomed in as an honorary member, an honorary knight um, it, for services to Belgian beer. So um, uh, when I wrote, let me tell you about beer um, and then a little book of craft beer and a couple of articles I wrote actually saying that there is no such uh, yeah, actually and, and being really honest about um, let me tell you about beer is uh, although there is a Trappist and uh, uh, section in there that re in reality there is no such style um, you know, you can brew a triple, you can brew a quadruple, you don't have to be a Trappist brewery. There's nothing specifically very special about the beers in the Trappist country. However, a lot of them are very special beers 
and also by supporting the Trappist movement, you're effectively buying beer for charity. So yeah, so I I I, I think actually that the, the a lot of it is, and I've I've always been um, a huge fan of the Brussels um, Beer Challenge. I think what they do is really interesting. I like the way that they do it. Um, in the the it's a um, it's always bound up in immersing you in the culture of Belgium as well. And I don't think you can really appreciate Belgian beer to its absolute maximum. I mean, don't get me wrong, you can bloody enjoy a glass of it, but there's something about being in Belgium and experiencing a country of two halves, which is an argument in and of itself, um, that is just so revels in its own quirkiness and sometimes frustrating nonsense bureaucracy and all this sort of stuff um is that i just love i just love how much they enjoy being belgian yet really rage against being belgian uh and and it just it's it's a fascinating uh, contradictory country and and the beers can quite often be the same i think it's a really good way of putting it comparing how the belgians are within the, within their own culture and the way the beers are as well and I quite like the um ordering beer for charity so if you can just give me two minutes, I'm just going to make a charity <laughs> donation to a, a Trappist monastery. <laughs> so what do, what, what do you get? Do you actually get a brewer's paddle or is it more of a symbolic? Yeah, get a bloody great medallion. I shit you not, you get an enormous enamelled medallion. So you're like, welcome at any of the Belgian... Is it part of... The, because don't the Belgians have a specific society or... Yeah, I, there's always a rumour that apparently I'm able to get free beer at a beer festival of some description, but I'm not entirely convinced that's true. I think if I wear my bling, um, the only thing is I'm slightly worried that I'll end up paying more at the osteopaths than I will actually doing anything else. So, Because it is, I mean, it's, 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 it is, it's like, it, it, it is the size of a, of a, of a saucer. I think we need to see that picture of that bling at some point, Melissa, when uh, when you can. And it's, I mean, it's beautiful. And the thing is, you don't know it's happening either. Oh, so it was a complete surprise, the presentation. Total surprise, an absolute surprise. I was like, what? It's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely experience. You've got all these guys in gowns and hats and it's all incredible ceremony and it's so much fun. And it's a huge honour. And as far as I'm aware, I'm the, First, I was the first British woman to receive uh, the awards, or the honour, or the knighthood. Oh, I'm impressed. It looks like me and Steve are going to have to up our game from using the phrase Belgian-y. <laughs> yeah. well, we need to do a bit more for Belgian beer than just <laughs> put, putting a Y on the end of their, the, the, the country name. Yeah. How's your beer going down, Steve? I've almost finished it, <laughs> unsurprisingly. That is just a beautiful beer to just appreciate without having to think about it for too long and then go where's the next one please for me the carbonation is what really makes that beer it's perfect isn't it it's not it's not too over it's it's just got almost a it's a word i've been using i feel like i've been using it too much recently it's a little bit pillowy it's it's got that kind of softness to it but it's got enough to give it the crisp finish that you want you know i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna help you out here i'm gonna say it's 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 just got a nice frizzante I'm never going to try that word. 
I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with pillowy. I've got I've got to go back to that hysterical thing. It was one of those ones where I expected you to go. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, to be honest, it's a bit twatty, but we'll go with it. And it's like, opposed to just going, what? <laughs> now, if there's if there's one thing that we are very very consistent at, it's uh, mispronouncing things. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're excellent at that. <laughs> no, I, I, know, I, know what, I know what you both say with your various descriptors. It, it's, it, has, it is soft, but there is still enough carbonation that it's still a, effectively a lager. Well, yeah. quite honestly, I can't remember the last time I, I drank a lager. And actually, I'll be very honest and say that the whole what I was supposed not to crack a beer before we started recording, I completely ignored because I've had such a hell of a day. And the guys were looking at me as I was merrily chucking my way through my. Uh, I was like, oh, and I kind of just picked up the expressions and went, "Oh, am I not supposed to open this?" It's like, no, congratulations on being the first guest to start drinking through their own introduction. Um, so yeah, so um, I uh, this is actually my second, and to be quite honest, I can't remember ever having. Um, two lagers whilst also inhaling a lot of air whilst talking through my ears which I'm very good at um yeah and uh, not feeling the need to discreetly but <laughs> so kind of tell yeah you there is about they say, but it's a good point it's not yeah. that kind it's not that kind of gassy beer yeah it's not for a lot of people it wouldn't tick oh maybe outside of the bubble it wouldn't tick the lager box because it isn't overtly fizzy it would actually also but it would challenge a lot of the things that people say that they don't that they perceive as not liking about beer because their beer experience is mainstream lager yeah, yeah agreed agreed I, I remember when you came to do the uh cheese and beer pairing at work probably about six years ago now melissa um and um the first beer you wanted people to have at the time was the fullest frontier but serve it in a champagne flute again, to challenge people's uh, perception of a lager and the sort of vessel it can be delivered in as well. And it did set the tone for the rest of the evening. Oh, it was great. I really enjoyed that evening. I have to say, I had great fun. I also had produced one of my favourite um, pictures ever that Clay took, um, which is me with an entire truckle of cheese on the end of the fork, reenacting the Alan Partridge smell my cheesy muff. Is it time for another beer, lads? I think it is. You're doing our job for us there and, and moving us on to the next beer. I'm sorry. This is your danger of, of talking to, a, of interviewing a journalist and a broadcast trained one at that. It's just like, right, should we move this on? <laughs> the second beer we've got this evening is Saison de Avon. This is a 6.5% Belgian style ale, uh, again from Lost and Grounded. I can only remember having this once previously, and, and that was when we went to Bristol and, and drank in their taproom. Yeah, although your version of having it once, I don't know if that includes the mind sweeping, Steve. No, that wasn't that wasn't this beer. That was the um is it was the, that the triple? The Apophenia, is it? Yeah. That, okay, you that... may have been better off mind sweeping this one then. Yeah, probably. But <laughs> the the wheels came off at stop number one. That was like eleven o'clock in the morning as well, wasn't it? Something ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so many people didn't like the apophenia and i couldn't see all these cans just be left to, to go to waste on the table so I did just... you ask them to put them all in a growler or something you animals <laughs> i did go missing later on that day so... <laughs> As in, <laughs> Melissa literally I disappeared did, i think i remember seeing this on socials has anybody seen steve yep i wandered off yeah i did I, i'm a homing pigeon 
Yeah, I, yeah, remarkably, I found my way back to the hotel as well. Via an extensive the route ran McDonald's, if I remember correctly. Always. I was say, there was fast food involved in this somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, every time, every time. <laughs> but back to the beer. Let's uh yeah. let's 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 dive into this and, and, and give it a go. Cheers. Cheers. Well, lads, it's Belgian. I can't believe she's just taken our catchphrase, Steve. <laughs> I'm speechless now. <laughs> it, but it is on, <laughs> it's on on the nose and and everything. It's just it's just full on Belgiany. Go on, Steve. You can do better. Reach deep. Okay, Reach okay. Deep. I um, at the weekend I actually um, drank saison uh, Dupont, and yeah. and I think you can see where the inspiration for this beer lies in, in, in terms of the, it's very much um, the characteristics are very similar to DuPont. Um, there is a little bit of funk on, on, on the opening. Then there's a little bit of light sort of lemonness going on. And then there's just a, a bit of a peppery spicy finish to it, which I, I think just brings the, the whole thing together and, and, and just delivers this quite soft, bitter finish to it. It's, it's absolutely delicious and just, just really, really refreshing as well. As you said, Belgian. <laughs> so, so, so I'm made... <laughs> <laughs> to, to do a full explanation and you still get away with Belgian-y. I probably won't get away with it, but um, you, I think the Saison Dupont comparison is excellent, actually. I hadn't really thought about it like that. It'd be a really good two beers to go side by side. I think they'd be excellent. I can see that it's on, it's on a, it's a, it's building its base on that, but it's got so much more to it as well. The peppery notes are so high. Um, and that's, partly due to the addition of the grains of paradise which is something i've used quite a lot in brewing which i adore um and i think that that you've got you have got that underlying sort of nice little you know weeny 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 bit of phenol in there from the saison yeast so it's that slight bubble gum that slight that very very slight um sort of banana note which is really low which should be because otherwise you're getting your fermentation it's wrong and you're basically creating a wheat bit um but i just think that this is this has an a roundness whether that is due to the hopping regime or whether it's due to the grains of paradise which are an incredible spice and if you don't use them in your cooking then track some down they're absolutely beautiful what are they so uh, it's a it's a false pepper. Oh right, okay. So it's a long pepper. So it's a, a bush pepper, a false pepper, a long pepper, um, and they are insanely beautifully fruity, um, and they also give off a very slightly woody note as well when you when you pan toast them and put them and grind them up. Delicious, absolutely beautiful, really seriously beautiful. They're called Grains of Paradise for a reason. This uh, they were very very expensive because in order to process them. You have to have very, very great dexterity. Um, and yeah, I just think that, that this is this is really a, a really what most people would think of as a straight up Saison because that spice is so well integrated. I've got nothing now to add, Steve. Let's just be clear. We're, we're being absolutely schooled to, tonight. We, we really are. That's, I'm, I'm just going to bat it straight back. So, uh, Melissa, tell us about the uh, how... 
how the 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 work that you've done around matching beer and, and, and food came about because I mean your description there around the grains of paradise um, took me to places that I can't even begin to go when it comes to cooking so you, you obviously know a little bit about cooking you, you, you know a little bit about beer when when did you have that moment that went oh you know what I should do these two things together I can't ever remember it being a conscious thing you know I think perhaps sort of being around the in-laws had a lot to do with it. There was always beer, beer and wine available around the table. Um, whereas my parents probably wouldn't have thought about beer on the table uh, much. I don't remember. Occasionally my dad would bring a beer to the table, but it'd have to be in the nice, in the nice lead crystal mug. Um, just from memory, I mean, I could be doing my parents a horrible service. Sorry, Mum, sorry, Dad. Um, but I just, I don't remember beer sort of being on the table. I mean, we, we, I think a lot of it is that my, when I started having um, some sort of kitchen autonomy was when I was at university. So I kind of, my mum and dad were, were effectively quite shift working. So um, my mum was a nurse, my dad was an insurance salesman up until sort of my early teens when both their careers sort of took off in, in, in different directions, but, but in very good ways. Um, and so sort of that whole, you know, cooking with your mum thing from, from young, it just wasn't possible for my mum. I mean, bless her, she was, I mean, I just remember her sometimes trying desperately just to stay awake just to say hello because she was knackered because she was doing nights and my dad was doing was selling insurance on the doorstep he was the man from the Prue with the green book um for those of you who were old enough to remember that stuff and so you know I didn't have that so we baked a lot together me and my mum but but the only thing my dad's ever taught me how to cook is how to boil a boil an egg <laughs> oh don't get me wrong a dippy egg is the breakfast of champions I will not have it I actually got quoted in the Irish National Press last week how did the eggs my fundamentalism about the fact that you should season not only the egg but the plate as well so that, that when the initial seasoning on your egg wears off you can swipe your buttery toasted soldier in it and dip it in your egg actually made the pages of the Irish National Press that's something I would never have expected as a, 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 a thought and a quote about how to eat a dippy egg would make the Irish National Press. Brilliant. I will, however, say it's damn good advice. But so, <laughs> I don't so yeah, so that, that wasn't really a thing. So actually, my, my first ever official date with my husband was um, was an ill-fated, well, not an ill-fated, um, a... A, a, a lesson which I still haven't been great at learning is to check how many the recipe actually serves. Um, and because I kind of wanted to impress him and my, 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 my house was never a fish household, but there was a great uh, fish market in Preston. I got myself my Gary Rhodes roads around Britain, I think it is. And I got a, I got that and I, um, and I, I, I was like, we're going to, do you want to make fish croquettes together? We've got this amazing kitchen. It's be great in the student house. So yeah, cool. Um, yeah, the, 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 the recipe served 12, but I didn't know what I was doing. So I had this fish and all these potatoes and anyway, 
by the time right. we... Leftovers. Nothing wrong with leftovers. Finished, leftovers I, are good. I don't think... The, okay. By the time we'd finished try, finish trying to feed the 5,000 and just didn't have enough loaves, although I guess the breadcrumbs kind of counted, um, yeah, and made uh, 30 people's worth of fish croquettes. Um, it was about it was about 10.30. We were half cut. I think we had ate about three of them. Uh, we were trying to have a bit of a cuddle on the couch, and my housemate came crashing through the door with his with his um, with his uh, dad, who then drunkenly stumbled into the kitchen and came back out again, looked at both of us, and went, "Fuck me, who's the atomic chef?" It's kind of been a nickname ever since. So there we go. Anyway, beer on the table. Um, yeah, not much, not not much growing up. I just. I just found, I think, the way that I talk about beer, um, not not deliberately, not 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 um, trying to think of the words. <laughs> um, it's never been an affectation or anything like that. I just, in case anybody hasn't already realised by now, I don't have a lot of filter between brain and mouth. And I think one of the best ways to describe things is absolutely the immediate impact that it has on you. And I always want to make it easy for people to understand it's actually been one of the biggest drivers in why I always wanted to be a journalist I wanted to disseminate information to people in a way that they would understand and that was and when I do tasting notes that's the most important thing so when I talk about that I talk about um it tastes like you know like one of those um uh drumstick lollies you know like a, or a refresher or oh my god it's pure rhubarb and custard uh, oh that is just the minute that hot espresso hits the ice cream when you make an affogato. Those, those things, I think, are more important than disappearing up your own fundament, talking about the technicalities of beer, um, which obviously I can do because I've had to and I've had to prove myself 10 times over in comparison to my male contemporaries. But I actually get more pleasure out of saying to somebody do you know what I mean when I say when I say it's kind of like a bit of a beer version of a crunchy bar and seeing somebody go yes that's, there was something ticking and now you've nailed it and it's just you know that I think that and I also think that's so much more valuable to people as well is not to be that beer dickhead who just wants to throw fancy terms at them and then leaves them none the wiser by the time they leave at least if they know that saying something tastes like a crunchy bar is actually what somebody who does this stuff for a living is is perfectly valid then they'll have more of a voice when they walk up to the bar as well i mean i think the descriptors bit is a really good point um relating it uh because sometimes you've heard descriptors before especially with wine and food mm. where they relate it to something else but that thing they've related to means nothing else to me either so you, you haven't helped my journey and my experience yeah. at all because you've compared it to something else I've never had whereas yeah. trying to level it helps it's sort of it's like I you almost think sometimes that you're you're not getting it or you're reading something that's possibly a parody it's like so this is this is exactly how it was when I sniffed the marble chair of Socrates at the base of the Acropolis in Athens. <laughs> I, there was a lingering muskiness that I'm sure must have come from him. You know, that's like, oh, fuck off, dude. Um, 
you know, the fact the fact that 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 I happen to know all that and I do and I've seen it and I've studied classics and it's like really what so much of this kind of thing has been perpetuated within the wine world and it's one of my bugbears around beer and food pairing um but I think you've also got a question about it appertaining to restaurants coming up <laughs> I don't, don't want to go off on one straight away not straight away anyway not straight away, <laughs> yeah. okay or, or any more than I oh damn it I've already done all that haven't I but how how did you go from just having that in, interest in food and the interest in beer to, to doing something like producing the beer kitchen which is uh, a, a very, very detailed book that, that gives you a number of recipes um, that, that you can try, ranging, you know, both savoury and sweet. How, how, how did that come about? Because that must have taken, that the recipe development on its own must have taken forever to, to, to get things right and to play around with things and then to actually be able to write all of that down so that somebody else could do it as well? For the writing it down, and I will say that there isn't perfect. Um, there are mistakes in there, and I have put an errata page as much as I can g- gather on my website. But, um, you know, that's, I, I think anybody who ever writes a cookbook, if they're being really honest, and actually a lot of people that I know who are, who are chefs with cookbooks are, are, are really honest about the fact that nobody ever gets it entirely right, which made me feel better, but also still cross at myself. Um, uh, how does it, how did it come about? Um, I'm really greedy. I really like good food. I really like good beer. Um, I also just, I, well, like everything else in my career, I think, got pissed off and I wanted to change something. So I, I sort of did. Um, I just saw a, the whole cooking with beer thing really came about on a, on a kind of scientific basis, for want of a better phrase, um, is when I just saw um, a recipe for a steak and ale pie that just said beer. Well, that was it. It just said add beer. Yeah. No particular type of beer, no reason for adding it. 500 mil of your random alcoholic liquid, please, Squire. I imagine uh, right now every listener is probably picturing what beer that should be. Yeah. But if, again, if you're outside of the bubble, you could just go, right, beer. Oh, I've got a can yeah. of Foster's in the fridge. Yeah. In it, in it goes. I'll get, I'll get a nice light-struck bottle of Corona, please. <laughs> or actually, or to be honest, even worse, somebody picks up from a supermarket shelf a big double IPA. A New England one and puts that in. No, to be honest, New England would be less. New England would be way more forgiving than a very bitter beer. The problem is, is that the, the very, very bitter beers are next to impossible to cook with. Why is that? Because the um, isomerization process of the alpha acids in the hot in English, please. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so effectively, the way that the way that you have to treat um, treat hops in the brewing process is to subject them to very high temperatures in order to get bitterness out of them. 
because you need to fundamentally change the um, structure of the um, the uh, the acids in the hops in order to make them water soluble. So in order to do that, you subject them to high heat for a long enough period and then they become, they become water soluble. Now, once they've actually changed into that situation, they're there and it's incredibly difficult to destroy them again. So if you cook with them and you cook with something like a double IPA, all of those incredibly, in the same way that you're told not to, um, not to keep your fr drink fresh beers too warm, and I mean drink fresh beers, not exploding hand grenades. Um, <laughs> I, um, uh, you know, th that, will, that will fundamentally damage them. Don't, you know, even if it's in a brown bottle, try and keep it out of the light. Cans are better, but they're not indestructible. You know, treat your, treat your highly hot drink fresh beers with care and attention. Effectively, like they were a bit of cheese is, is honestly the way that I do it. They don't have to be massively cold, but it's a good idea to keep them properly cool. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of, you know, that, but once you've changed that nature, all of those aroma hops go away. The malt aspect of the beer, which is always supposed to be a supporting partner in the first place in, in this style, is subsumed pretty much by any other products, sorry, any other ingredients you have in the stew. And then all you're left with is bitter right at the end. No, nobody wants that, do they? Yeah. So those neepers you don't want, you cook with those while you're drinking the double and triple IPAs. That's, that's your lesson learned. I think that's a, an unfair calumny on very well made new IPAs. I think some people need to understand that just chucking your trub and your yeast in there is not making a decent New England IPA. Please stop. Please, please, please stop. I want to stop straining beers through my teeth. Uh, second and third did by Opinions Beer O'Clock Show. Uh, so, I do so, like well-made ones. Just like. oh, I, I, I do. It's just that there's not enough of them that I seem to find at the moment. No. Going back to your steak and ale pie. So literally mm. the genesis of the book came from you looking at this recipe and thinking, well, why haven't you bothered mentioning the beer? Why is the beer not getting much of a look in here? Yeah, it was also then I went through that magazine and then a bunch of other magazines and more magazines and realised that when they were cooking with wine, they were actually recommending styles or at least vague geographic locations. And then I started to get really pissed off. Which is, again, coming back to these sort of uh, similarities, this is the same as restaurants a lot of the time. Yeah which we can have a fantastic uh, range of dishes available to you to eat mm -hmm. and an extensive wine list. And a lot of the time there'll be recommendations for mm -hmm. said wines. Um, can I have a little bit? Can I, um, what beers have you got? Um, there's this little tiny section of, available to beers. And yeah. one of them may be a 0% macro offering and probably a Peroni or a San Miguel, for example. Yeah. And that's it. There is, a, and it's like there was no other options available. And nine times out of ten, if I am in that kind of restaurant, then I will, I will definitely go for the wine option. Yeah. It's nicer, and there's been more care and attention given to it. The the yeah. lager is just there. Um, so thinking about it in those terms, because um, didn't you? Weren't you part of the Siva 
food and bearing, food and beer pairing thing that they did a year and a half, two years ago. Yep. Was that part of your thought process around that was to encourage restaurateurs and owners to look at beer in a different light in comparison to the food they were offering? Uh, actually, it was, it was the Michelin Awards. Um, so it was a, it was a, it was a brilliantly, in some ways, successful event for us. Um, in some ways, it was also a very difficult sell um, because mostly people are just either relieved or, 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 or cross that they haven't moved up a star or whatever. Um, but um, I thought it was a real, a really fantastic thing that Michelin actually thought it was a, a worthwhile thing for them to have. It wasn't, it wasn't that we that Seba. So I say we. I mean, um, I mean, I don't. I think I've worked with Seba probably two, three times a year, um, but they they do they do a lot of very very good stuff in my opinion. I think there are a lot of they're a bit of an easy target sometimes, um, and uh, I I think we did we did get a lot of interest that evening. The problem you've got is wine is a racket. Sorry, what 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 do you mean by racket when you when you use it in this term? If I said to you. What do you reckon the cost price of the Hellas that we've had this evening is? I mean, just roughly, what would you pay in a bottle shop, for example? Three, three fifty. Yeah, three fifty, four quid. So you know that that bottle shop is probably looking at between fifty-five and seventy percent GP, roughly, roughly. Now, can you tell me when you've ordered a Pinot Noir or a Gewurztraminer or a Pickpool? just as really easily recognisable wines in a restaurant, what would their retail price be? What would their wholesale price roughly be? Oh, so you're talking, yeah, because we've done this at work when we were at the wine club and we've done this as part of the blind tastings and I'm always horribly off the mark with my costs, like wholesale and retail price versus uh, price in restaurants. Yeah, I mean, you're looking three to four times on top usually, or a lot of the time, I should say. Oh, and then some. Not to mention the fact that also um, we are, you're looking quite frequently at actually what is a um, what is a commercial product. So what is a consumer facing product is actually is quite frequently a different label to what is sold in in the restaurants. And the long and short of it is, uh, quite honestly, particularly in the UK and um, in the US, is that fr- food is wildly underpriced. I've seen that, I've seen that written before. That was part of the stuff there. Fake margins on booze. Yeah. What does everybody know the price of, but not the value of beer? They know the price of a pint, for example, don't they? Yeah. They know the price of the beer. They know the pro- or what they perceive to be a price of a beer that they think is acceptable, but do they actually know the value of it? So, for example, you hear a lot of people grumbling about, oh, you know, this fucking craft beer, it costs a fortune, pal. It's like, yeah, that's been in a lagering tank for six weeks. That Foster's or Carling that your Budweiser that you've got in your hand has, has barely seen a whiff of a, of a cold tank. Let alone a hop. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a good, that's a good point. Actually, you're you're actually splitting out between cost and value yeah. of the product. 
Yeah. And what so what you're saying, presumably, therefore, the, the logical conclusion is that is that beers just aren't generating enough income for restaurants. No. So what, well, what more, what's yeah. their commercial value? Exactly. Because they can't I mean I was so disgusted when I saw that um, uh, Galvin Windows was charging £20 for a Colonel IPA. And when I asked Fred Suryx why he was doing that, he said, because our customers would pay it. And it's like, but there's a difference between valuing the beer where it should be and just taking the fucking piss out of your customers. And he just galloped at me and, and, and moved on. I just, I, I mean, there's, there's a, you know, but then again, there's that mentality. So there's, there's, there's a window, if you'll pardon the pun, into the mentality that if, and I'm not for a minute saying that Galvin was doing this, but if, say, for example, Galvin was serving the same pit pool that you can get in M&S or Waitrose, Sainsbury's or Astro or Audi, and charging... 14 times <laughs> or whatever it is, or 10 times the retail value. Um, you know, where, where are we really going with this? Do we really want to see beer, the most egalitarian of drinks, abused like that? Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. I mean, like I was going to say, the, the Hawksmore, I think, is the most expensive kernel I've had, but we were still in this more than to the six to seven pound range, mm. um, which considering the environment I was in and it, it was a once a year occasion, I was much yeah. more comfortable with and even seems even better now considering I could get three of them for the price of one at the place you were at. Blimey. That's just ridiculous though. And that, that, that potentially would put people off. I think it's just pretentious as well. And that's something that, that, that you've got to walk a fine line of with, with beer is uh, going back to that egalitarian thing. It's uh, one of the reasons why, it, when I realised I had a palette for things and I had a way of explaining things, um, I did have a little flirt with the idea of, of writing about wine. I enjoy wine. I, I'm incredibly grateful I didn't go into it because whilst there's an amazing um, uh, group of people uh, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of people that I just couldn't have coped with being around. Um and uh, I went to a, a wine awards dinner and I'll never forget being unbelievably flabbergasted that somebody who I was sitting on the table of one of the sponsors who had one of the judges on, on there. And despite the fact that they judged this, incre I mean, incredibly, like one of the world's top three competitions, despite the fact that they'd actually been on the final judging panel like the the creme de la creme mw's judging panel he actually said yeah this is all bullshit the wines are frankly all shit and pulled out a cardboard box full of his own wine selections for the dinner he is still considered to be one of the country's foremost wine blimey i've got no i've got nowhere to go with that as a comparison steve I'm 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 actually speechless at that. That's um, it's just rude. If if nothing else, I'm not a woman giving to blushing, but I was actually blushing on in embarrassment on their behalf, and the response was so sweet as well. They were so lovely. They were saying it would be wonderful to get more young women into the way. And as we left, she went, 
Yeah, no, you know, you said you were tossing up between beer and beer and wine. I'd, I'd play with beer if I were you. And actually, funny enough, she later ended up working for a PR agency that specialised in breweries for a number of years. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> looks, looks like you both made the right decision. Yeah, he, he managed <laughs> to put two women off him. And he, was, he was just crass all evening. It was horrible. Anyway. But yeah, I mean, you, you've got to you've got to look at the entitlement and the money and the grants and the and the you know would would you not directly like to write about my wine? Um, but we do have a lovely chateau kind of attitude as well. So, but I mean, but there's also a lot of wine writers who aren't like that. The problem is that there's a big amount of the old vanguard that's still there who are who are protecting that area, and it won't change. It won't change. So I'd rather see a lot more beer served in more interesting casual dining. Um, so, uh, for example, in London, we're blessed with some really great places like that. So, for example, Robin Gill's um, uh, little chain you know, with, with the Derby's and now Bermondsey Larder. Um, and, you know, great, great places, great chefs like that. Um, it was lovely to work with Alan Williams when he was at the Westbury. Um, and I really hope that, you know, we'll be able to catch up again and do some more stuff again in the future together. Because um, actually Alan did price the beers as sensibly as he could do. Um, I think, you know, there's there's places where, to be honest, I really feel like it needs to start with Chef Patron's stepping up. Um, I know Russell Bateman, for example, who's won... Michelin stars all over the place uh, in his new restaurant. I can't quite remember where it was. It was um, it's around Nottinghamshire somewhere. Um, and he's already looking for beers for for his bar and his menu. Um, and there's lots of chefs who do care and are really passionate about it and who want to put it on the menu in the same way that they want to put ingredients in their food, that they wouldn't charge necessarily the rate. Um, so it's exciting, but it's going to be slow. I just like to see it in more casual dining. So still room for improvement then um, <laughs> across all areas is probably the best way. Of summing <laughs> it up. Well, we asked our listeners what, what they thought of this on this week's question. Opinions, 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 opinions. Which was, what are your thoughts on matching beer and food? So we had 462 votes on this. 63.6% of people said it can enhance both. 12.3% said it doesn't work for me. And 24% remained neutral on, on this as well. So the majority going with it enhances both. And we've just got a few comments here as well, a few examples that some people have given. So James at Gammon Barron, definitely check out food and beer pairing of the week hashtag fab pal well from just following some of james exploits with some of the food that he cooks um i'm not the most massive of foodies which i'm sure we'll come on to at some point um but but some of his stuff really makes my mouth water um some of what james does uh dr goggles at dr underscore goggles not my thing but then i'm not a huge foodie it, it could have been me writing this um when i'm drinking beer i like to taste it food gets in the way ruth mitchell at the beer fairy 100 percent enhances the majority of my major beer epiphanies have been food related a great combination can help introduce you to a new style and definitely enhances the overall experience this is so normal with wine surely it should be of everything else 
from Patrick Fox at Foxatronic82. Absolutely enhances. Not every beer needs a food pairing and vice versa, but when it's good, it's really, really good. Rye, pale ale and barbecue, pilsner and pizza, stout and chocolate, saison and everything. And finally, Guinness and a toasty. I can't think why Foxy mentioned that. <laughs> he's, he's, he's taking you there as well, has he? Oh, Parik. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Parik uh, was uh, uh, the general manager of the uh, Guinness Open Gate Brewery, and he's also a very good pal of mine. Actually, I'm, I'm mates with Ruth as well, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, it does feel like it's sort of cheating here. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I love, I, I adore both of those humans. They're fantastic. But uh, Parik and I have um, 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 stories. From Mark Johnson, it can definitely enhance, but due to personal pre- preference, I don't bother with it. But I'm the same with wine, tending to have a glass in between courses rather than to pair it with each to their own. And then finally from Mashtun and Meow at Mashtun and Meow, we love pairing beer and food, gives us another opportunity to think about and play around with flavour, makes more of an experience out of a meal for us. Not something we do all the time, but have done more recently to keep us entertained through lockdown. Yeah, also very good people and I adore them very much. Going back to Mark's point, I think think there's um, something really, really important to make, make the point of, excuse me, um, is that your experience is your experience. If you don't enjoy it, if it's getting in the way of other elements of enjoyment, sack it off. We all work way too long hours and way too little in comparison to our effort as a general rule to start buggering about with something that you don't enjoy. So first and foremost, if you're not enjoying it, sack it off. You have no responsibility to anybody else. Just enjoy what you're doing and how you're making yourself feel at that point. As for um, the in-between, I think that's really interesting. I think that's, um, that does actually kind of play into, I think one of beer's strengths is that it's an excellent palate cleanser. So if you are having really big booming food that is that is very very shouty actually having a beer with carbonation its ability to whisk away a lot of heavy fats as opposed to turn them into emulsion because it hasn't got high enough alcohol rate and so on and so forth i think that's a a really valuable thing that beer does um and i do think it, it can sometimes you can just get amazing kind of again epiphanies the word we're using a bit this evening uh, you can get kind of an epiphany as well. So sometimes you can get like really bonkers pairings where you just go, oh my God, that's turned into something else completely. So it's a, it's a good thing. And I, I just think, you know what, if you don't like it, don't force it. Maybe someday you'll fall into something. If not, just like the beer kitchen, I'll cook the recipes, try the beers, or don't give a toss about it either way. It's up to you, it's your hard-earned cash. Steve, after all of that, I was expecting Melissa to say, only do what you enjoy or sack it off and then just walk off air. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Jock. So, Steve, what's your view on matching beer and food? Okay, so I, if, if I had voted on this, I would have gone for neutral because I am not really that into food or flavours, really. Hashtag um, beige. Yeah, I have a very, very beige palette when, when it comes to things that I eat. But um, there are certain meals where 
I will try and go for particular beers with that meal. So I do love uh, with a Sunday roast. I, I love a bottle of broadside because I, I think it just it works so well with with, with a Sunday roast. And I, I seem to have a particular affinity as well for when I'm doing um, like a, a Mexican like enchiladas or something. I, I, I always go for like a dark beer with with enchiladas like a, a a cold porter or something because i just i just think the that the, the roasted flavors just balance out so well with the spiciness that, that you get in the dish and that's about the extent of as far as i go with with matching my beers with with, with food oh if it makes you feel any better Modelo negro is one of the largest selling uh, beers in 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 mexico and it's 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 a dark lager so oh. So I'm I'm doing something partially right there. Then then what 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 about yourself, Mark Martin? Uh, uh, is is this something you've experimented much with? Not particularly. Um, I'm definitely on the. I like it can enhance both, but I'm very much on the neutral. I'm always happy, especially when I'm out, to find a beer that I like, regardless of the food offering. So even I forgot what the name of the Mark is. It beer and burger it started off in like Dalston or Kings Cross. Yeah. Um, I'm just happy about, I love going out. When I have a burger out, I find it a really enjoyable experience. And the fact that I could, there was 20 taps to choose beer from. I didn't think about pairing the burger to the beer, but I could have a burger that was really enjoyable, freshly made, and a really nice beer offering as well. And, you know, essentially that's what I do at home. Because I can have a plenty of choice from the beer cupboard, I can sort of choose my own nice beer to go with the food. The closest I'll get to it is if I get celebration events when people give me some cheese and rather than having cheese and port i'll have a, a a couple of decent beers or beers that i think will go really well with them you know maybe a fuller's vintage or like you said steve a, a porter or something um but i'm just always happy to have good beer almost whenever the occasion is yeah. um and i i just want to come back to the uh the guinness and a toasty comment there was no need for him to mention that and put it back in my head again because it's been a few couple of years now as well so I, I just that's just made me want to go back to that pub in Dublin and have a Guinness <laughs> and a toasty. So there was no need for it. It's almost um, the ultimate combo, isn't it? That yeah, <laughs> yeah. he yeah. nailed it. In, in fairness, I, I've I've been there and done that, and it was an entirely drinking with him induced hangover. So yeah, it, do, it does work. Yeah, we, we're we're also now not allowed near oysters, or that we're, we're just not really allowed out together to be. That's probably not a bad thing. Um, but I think we did, yeah, we did oysters and, well, actually, no, you might not have, Steve. There was oysters and Guinness the last time we went there. They, that, that wasn't one of your things. But I think I'll there are so many things that. that can go together. And the six comments we shared, there were, that was only a snapshot of all the comments we got about the food and beer pairing. Oh, oh yeah, as, as, as always, that question will be in the show notes. If people want to click on the question, um, they can link through and they can see all of the responses that we had to that. And there, there, there were a lot. Um, now, we have got a lot of um, pairing suggestions coming up, which we've, we've got a bit of a quick fire round coming up with Melissa here. So she doesn't know what's coming. But before we get to that, let's just take some final thoughts on the uh, Saison d'Avon. Uh, Melissa? Love it. Yeah, six and a half percent of beautiful, soft, easy drinking Belgium-inspired beer, um, and I'm not even going to pretend to say some of the stuff that Melissa gave us earlier because there's nothing to add to that. It's just delicious, and that six and a half percent is so well hidden as well. 
It is. That scary bears, that beer. Let's move on to the final beer that we're going to have this evening. This is, again, from Lost and Grounded. This is Running with Spectres, and this is their Baltic Porter. I love that they've got Running with Scepters and Running with Spectres. It makes me so happy. You also have to really think about which one's which, don't you? As no. in when you, well, as in when you uh, say it and introduce it. Yeah, yeah. Well, after after a beer that's hidden its ABV so well and, and gone down so well, yes, possibly. Yeah, I mean, this is we've stepped up only a little bit, the six point eight, but at least the uh, from what I remember of this beer, it sort of hints a bit more towards a bit of ABV. Cheers, cheers. Oh, that's good. That that is properly my sort of porter. Yeah, I've got. I mean, is yours uh, still chilled as well, Steve? It is just a little bit chilled. Yeah, yeah, it's delicious like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that that this. I don't know if it's necessarily true for all porters and stouts, but there are some which definitely benefit from having a little bit of a chill about it still. And this yeah. is one of them. I mean, I, I would say it will get better as it warms up the glass, but I don't know how long it will stay in the glass to warm up. <laughs> no. Well, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that we've got Melissa with us tonight, actually. Uh, and it's a question that I've kind of always wanted wanted to to, 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 to get answered. Um, a Baltic porter. What, what's the difference between a Baltic porter and a, a, a standard porter? Um, there's a lot of bullshit about uh, Baltic porter, which I, I'll be honest, I've um, accidentally repeated over the years. Um, uh, the long and short is it was a it was a beer that was designed for export. Um, now it was just a, a, a way of brewing that was that was designed to go overseas. Um, and if you want to really know about it, because I'm so tired that my main brain's just gone totally blank. And I was only reading it last week, but go and read, uh, go and pay to read because Ron and Martin Cornell, Ron Pattinson and Martin Cornell do so much for beer history with so little reward. Um, is uh, I'm actually going to defer that question to please go and buy Martin and Ron's books and they will give you a far clearer picture than I will. I think we need to get into the quick fire round, Steve. Let's let let's do it. Okay, so we've got a series of um, pairing suggestions here, Melissa. Uh, just give us a yes, no, and if you feel like you need to, an explanation as to why. So first up from Michael Yates at Mook underscore Yates, a Vesmal triple and a good Comte cheese. Uh, Vesmal and Comte, uh, yes. Excellent. Martin Griffin at Martin the Monkey, Burning Sky robust porter with pecan pie and vanilla ice cream. No. Too many burnt notes and a danger for over-caramelisation on the pecan. I would go uh, personally with something a bit rounder and a bit more creamy. Okay. Uh, from Nate at NateDog27, KFC and Allvow. No other brands of fried chicken won't do. Um, I have never been able to eat kfc for some reason it makes me throw up on 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 eating don't know why i can eat virtually everything else in the world um but but southern fried chicken style or vowel no arguments here excellent graham meekin at graham underscore meekin mules fritz and lambic more fritz than that. um i yeah um a girls yes a girls well the thing is that lambic's a big family um, a Gers, yes. A straight Lambic, no. Okay, thank you very much. 
Catherine Wikes at Mrs. Kathy Babes. Saison and pate combo. Liver pate and saison is awesome. Chicken and chicken parfait and, and, and chicken liver and parfait is even better. I'm going to bear that in mind. I do like pate myself. So yeah. from Sean as a service, I'm not even going to try reading his, his handle. Um, treacle tart with lost and grounded aphophenia. No. That's a very specific one, isn't it? It is very specific. I mean, I mean you could st- have just gone for a Belgian <laughs> triple style. It was. Maybe he's got good memories of that beer as well, Steve. Honestly, it would never have occurred to me to try it, but that doesn't mean that it's not fantastic. Um, I just... Uh, so treacle pudding or tart? Tart. Treacle tart. Um, Awesome triple. I'll be really honest, Sean. I I haven't tried it. I'd be definitely up for it. If I was going to go with a treacle tart, which is you know teeth dropping out of your head, sweet. Um, I probably would have gone with something like a Duchess. Yeah, good choice of beer, but yeah. a bit, a bit quite different to the uh, Aphrodisia, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but just a, just as that as that because it's got that kind of balsamic note, it would actually work and weave in um but it, again it's not to say but then you know good triples do have a well, belt of bitterness which would help balance the sweetness i'd be well up for trying that pairing okay next up from homebrew rich at rich swin fish and chips and an american brown owl i'm sorry fish and chips with a cup of tea i'm with melissa mug of tea i don't drink tea yeah. so too much density to have beer and gassiness at the same time. It's a cup of tea or nothing. Fair enough. Uh, from your boy Rob Edwards at Rob underscore Edwards ninety, a jerk chicken and railway porter. Big fan of of, of spicy things with darker beers. Um, I think it just works. I think there's a structure to the beer and a structure to the dish that really works. And I love I love jerk with um, the the only thing with um, uh, with uh, jerk is I quite often go the other way and I quite often have um, something like a fruited balloon of ice, which I'm also a huge fan of. In fact, I've um, used, it was marble agua de Jamaica. I was doing a, a fair share um, cooking, excuse me, thing at the marble arch. And uh, I actually used the agua de Jamaica to uh, beer brine uh, cauliflower steaks which I then smothered in jerk seasoning and put on the barbecue which was really good in a really panicked I've been awake and prepping food that we didn't even know what we were doing to serve to people 12 hours previous seven hours sorry nine hours previous yeah don't recommend that to anybody with a with a with a nervous disposition <laughs> whereas me and Steve at Marble Arch have had chips cheese and gravy I <laughs> No argument here. As long as you had it with Manchester Bitter, I think you're yep. all right. Yeah. Absolute winner for us. That was. <laughs> That's... Uh, last one uh, from Wim Fandangle at Wim Fandangle. A blue cheese with a sour. Blue cheese. Gers. Treat yourselves. I know it sounds like that was a winner for that, for that last one then. Bingley Blue. Bone Mariage Parfait. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. I hope, I hope people have eaten by the time they listen to this episode. 
I think it's probably also important to say as as, as well that obviously th- th- those are just individual choices and do whatever oh. works for you. you Hell you, yeah. You, you know, if you're enjoying two things together, can continue to in, enjoy those and continue to let us know what you're doing. Use the hashtag opinions and you may very well find yourself in this next part of the show. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know your thoughts and bitter in lingerness. Write it down. From Bob Shaughnessy at Shaughnessy underscore Bob. A superb episode. The time flew by listening to Ken's thoughts and experiences. Such an interesting listen. As somebody who's a bit of a Johnny come lately to your podcast, we'll see you can add a good one to accompany my lockdown walks and exercise. I'm enjoy dipping into them. Richard Griffiths at Griff479. Great podcast, guys, and really interesting to hear the backstory to Sierra Nevada. It made me pick up a few bottles of pale ale today. Yeah, we're still getting quite a lot of feedback around the, uh, the the Sierra Nevada show, and I think maybe sales of Pale Ale in the UK have increased possibly as a result of that. <laughs> and, that and that's not including you and I, Steve. No, no, ever so slightly, but I think I think there's been a slight increase. So continuing that theme from Mark Johnson, had this been any professional podcast, I wouldn't have been interested. But listening to this story told to told to two enthusiastic and buoyant hobbyists made it so beautiful and engaging and an essential listen thanks for that mark um some some really kind words there in 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 terms of that show that we did i I know we've we've spoken about it quite a lot now martin but we had a real blast of a time talking to ken didn't we oh we did and i love the way that um mark has described us as buoyant hobbyists i.e. two people who drank quite a lot of Sierra Nevada beer while talking to Ken. What, while he was drinking his morning coffee, yeah. <laughs> From Ian Hay at I.I. Hay, uh, these guys are on, on an incredible run at the moment, show after show of top quality content. A delight to hear Steve enjoying Six Degrees North especially. After the Sierra Nevada episode, this was the perfect episode. Looking forward to the next one. Johnny Beer Boy at Johnny Beer Boy. Loved this episode. Soundtracking my last day at work before a nice three-day weekend. Great news about the summer sesh too, an extravaganza. Can't wait to get involved, especially with mine and your boy Edwards on the Sunday. And finally, Simon Dewhurst at Simo Sloth. Great show, guys, and thanks for answering my question. Looking forward to the summer sesh. Sounds like a cracking lineup while also supporting a local bottle shop. Can't wait. It's... It's, it's always wonderful to get the feedback from from, from listeners and, and I know it's great that when we get the listeners to input into the show as well and we do have some some questions for you Melissa from our listeners questions questions fill my head so first question from Richard Taylor at Rich Taylor 1608 you've achieved so much in the beer brewing judging food world what's left to do what would be the ultimate achievement that one's caught me off guard a little actually um I I don't feel like, <laughs> I certainly, uh, to quote Sid Waddell, I don't feel like Alexander, you know, <laughs> I haven't conquered, conquered Macedonia and, and then looked over and wept. Um, yeah, I think every day's a, every day's a, both a school day and a battle. Um, I think, unfortunately, um, what people don't see and and that's that's deliberate and it's also um quite frequently done in 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 um in confidence is that 
I know what an uphill battle we still have about equality and diversity in the beer world because barely a day goes past when I don't get contacted by somebody asking for advice or hope or support around um, around harassment or uh, sometimes assaults or things like that. And I think um, if I had anything, if I had anything left to conquer, which is obviously unconquerable, but it's a it's a windmill I will continue tilting until the day I die, is that the, there is still way more to be done about making beer more diverse and more quality and also just drumming out the dickheads. I mean, can't because but we're disproportionately overloaded with sexist assholes in this industry. Um, we're disproportionately overloaded with guys who think that they can use uh, alcohol as a predatory environment. And that would be my, um, that's my, that's my Macedonia. Um, what I will say, and thanks Rich, um, is that um, what I would really like to do more of is brew. I love brewing. I miss brewing, not being able to do collaborations um, and possibly just produce a, a small line of beers of my own. Be nice. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, but going back to your first point as well, um, I think uh, if there's a mantra to live by, drumming out dickheads isn't a bad one, Melissa. That's <laughs> not really, is it? And and, and on the flip side of that, um, 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 is that I... It's one of those things that you're taught as a woman, isn't it? It's just don't don't shout about, don't boast, don't be that, don't be this. The thing that I am most proud of in my career is that I get a lot of uh, women who are now in the beer industry, particularly who are probably 20 plus years younger than I am, saying I wouldn't be in the beer industry if it wasn't for reading Let Me Tell You About Beer. I wouldn't be in the beer industry if it wasn't for coming to one of your tastings or knowing or seeing your your social activism on social media um, and knowing that if something happened or when somebody, I had somebody to come to, I had a, and, and thank you for being a lightning rod. And one of the things that I'm really grateful for in a lot of ways is the amount of women who have come through now who are picking up that mantle, picking up that torch. And I'm very much able to take a bit of a step back now because I'm not going to lie, I mean, it's emotionally freaking exhausting. Um, but it's actually that now there is a whole group and then nothing, they've nothing to do with me. They've mobilized. They, they have just said enough of this shit. We're here. We like beer, get used to it. And that is really the way that they, and, and it's amazing. Crafty beer girls, Facebook group killing it international women's day i was absolutely unable to take part due to my personal circumstances with with flats and things and stuff done well whereas i never used to be able to move i was the only female face of face of beer in the uk actually out there because even female head brewers of huge organizations went out there so that's my that's my that's my proudest thing and that's that's the also still the work to do though I think that's that's really 
inspirational for a lot of people and i think you have been in that regard melissa and not and i would i would argue not just to the women in beer to to all of us as well so i would say congratulations on that and carry on doing what you've been doing really well over the years thanks mate question number two um from your boy rob edwards starting out as a beer writer who were your biggest writing influences I didn't read them. So you came into it with no sort of a prejudgment about what beer writing should look like then, presumably. I took a I took a view really early on that if all I did was read about what men wrote about beer, all I'd try to do was try to fit that mould. And the few bits that I did read, I never bought any of those books. And, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased because um, some of those don't meet your idols moment. Um, I will say with the absolute 100% honourable exception of Roger Protz, who has been the most amazing uh, supporter and cheerleader and incredible friends throughout my career is uh sometimes you know all these people are just going oh I want to be the next so-and-so and the next so-and-so and the next so-and-so and I had a very different experience of meeting those people and I had no desire to read their writing or what they were doing because I had no regard for them as a human being well, so that, that would colour your judgment. What about writing influences in general then? As a, as as someone who went into journalism, presumably had a wider writing influence. Yeah, I mean <laughs> there we go. I always thought I was gonna be the next Kate Aidy. Um I mean I guess I kind of did go into a form of war correspondence. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've been on, you've been in the firing line sometimes there, Melissa. I, I certainly went to war a little bit, eh? Um, yeah, I mean, Kate Aidy was absolutely 100%, and she still is my absolute heroine. Um, I think there's been, you know, incredible um, women journalists who have really carved a path, who, despite, you know, accusations of, you know, they had to keep troops happy and all this sort of shit, have just produced the most incredible journalism, um, and who have died on the front lines doing it, not that you know, I would can ever compare myself to that. But I think that there's a, a lot of women who have bought, um, who have been brave and braver than a lot of their male contemporaries could ever be because they actually they bring a humanity to the theatre of war which governments and dictators and hunters would rather didn't happen. I think this. Very good point. And I think that's the same in world leadership as well. I think you can see that the world over with world leaders, male versus female at times. And again, it's, I mean, this is all social conditioning. It's not genetic. Um, you know, we, we're, we're taught to be soft. I, I, I mean, even my own, even my own father said, for God's sake, Melissa, do you have to swear so much on social media? And so like, yes, dad, cause I have to be, I have to be double fucking hard. It's the same with the with the with the um, with the protests that have been going on. There was a very sensible, fully stewarded, 
fully funded by a quarter of a million pounds vigil going to be put together. But no, you know, all of this stuff is all, it's all put down to hysteria and women not being able to know their place or just trying to get uppity or stuff like that. It's like, God damn right, I'm an uppity woman. Deal with it. I think this next one, we've we've possibly covered this uh, a little bit, but Simon Cl- Clark at Simon Carbon asks, good restaurants seem very luct- reluctant to engage with the world of beer. Do you think it's possible to get more of them to take beer seriously and get something independently brewed onto their menus? Okay, long and short is you just need to go in and ask, go in and ask, go in and ask, go in and ask, go Pestilent. in and ask, go in and ask. End of story. Yeah. There you go, Simon. Let us know how you get on in Warwickshire asking for beer and food pairings in your local restaurant. Uh, Lastly, last question, Melissa. We're almost there. Um, From Ian Hay at II Hay. Most surprising and non-intuitive beer food pairing that you've had? Milky Way buttons and Dunkle Bice. Okay, yeah, I wouldn't have gone there. I wouldn't. And... um... We'd love feedback from our listeners when that when they try that combination yeah, and see definitely. if it works. Do you know why? Go on. Go on. It tastes like banoffee pie. Oh, yeah. It's one of the rare moments where you create as opposed to actually just pair. You actually create. So you normally have to do like contrast, complement, cut, and then sometimes you get create, and that creates. Just one final question from us, really, Melissa, and that's mm-hmm. you've recently just uh, opened Matchbox in Borough Market. Yeah. Which sits, for those that know Borough Market, it's just behind the Rake Bar, which mm-hmm. is a food and it's a little, it's food it's, it's, designed to go with a beer that you can get in the Rake. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> ish. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a funny little little project. Um, in the in that we we have plans when we and we are actually reopening with with a with hopefully a really interesting um, way of doing things. But because um, we were given the keys a lot earlier than we anticipated, um, and then eat out help out happened and. For those of you who know the rake, it's the size of a matchbox, which is partly why the name is, is matchbox of the little static restaurant market stall stand that we have. Um, but if we hadn't started doing um, food for the rake, the rake wouldn't have been able to open. And I will say that the wet lead trade has been disgracefully... I mean, the whole of the industry has been horribly horribly treated by the by, by the government throughout this entire pandemic but the wet lead trade in particular has been well peed upon let's put it politely um and so if we hadn't opened up for a food offering the rake wouldn't have been able to open but then you had the problems of people just sort of ordering a table and then going across to Hawksmoor to take a take a advantage of eat out to help out and stuff like that so we, we sort of had to keep on trying to flip between the market and that and stuff. So now we've actually had time. Um, small bonus of lockdown, three. And so we've had some time. And we will be reopening and doing hopefully a lot closer to probably what people might have expected and also what we're good at, 
which is a lot of the menu will be cooked with beer and there will be pairing offerings. Um, our opening hours are still a bit TBC because of what's, you know, what's going on. You just don't know what the pavement licenses are going to be and so on and so forth. Um, so, but we're, we're going to be focusing on very, very close to beer food, but also during the day, if you work around, around London Bridge, we are going to be doing basically killer sandwiches because nowhere on Borough Market currently really focuses on doing great sandwiches. So during the day, we're also going to be doing hot breakfast sandwiches in the morning. So if anybody's going down the Bermondsey Beer Mile and doing that kind of crawl, we're going to be we're going to be we're going to be sorting out. There's going to be some fermented potato products as well. So for those of you who haven't heard of fermented fries, we're going to take that to the next level shortly as well. So it's going to be all sorts of fun. Sounds like sounds like a posh beige there for you, Steve. Yeah, and it's, it sounds like a, a, an absolute beer lover's heaven. Yes, I'm going to get very regional as well. So I don't think I'll get in too much trouble. I don't know. I'll find out when I tell them tomorrow. But as opposed to doing things like like a fake McMuffin, we'd much rather do a breakfast balm. So for those of you who nice. are a bit, yeah, there we go. Those of you who know the North, you know, a proper Lancashire oven bottom as opposed to a, a opposed to a you know, miserable polenta-coated muffin. Sounds good. I, I, like I said, we do need to put a warning at the start of this show. Eat. <laughs> eat, eat before consuming. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, are there any other little projects that you've got coming up, Melissa, in, in, in the next year or so? Uh, got a new book. It's, it's going to be kind of a bit of a compendium um, because I've got... Kind of, uh, let me tell you about beer is, is old now. <laughs> Um, and a bit out of date, um, but, but I'd like to, uh, but I really want to present how I went with that uh, to a new audience and a new fashion, um, which is not to say I don't still love the book and it's still in publication. I'm so proud of that, but I, I kind of want to take some of the, some of the bits that everybody loved from that and, and move it on and uh, put some of the recipes from Beer Kitchen or some new ones that I've been developing in there as well so, so it's going to be a little bit of everything but it's going to still be beautifully presented as hardy grant does so well um and uh yes yeah, so i'm excited about that um anyway be less shit at cricket i don't think that's going to be a successful project <laughs> so bad but so very enthusiastic um and uh yeah a, bit, a lot more cycling Determined to finish five couch five k this summer, um, yeah. And and um, I, the only other thing is, is uh, and I'm going to shamelessly use this channel to do it. Um, is uh, if everybody could keep their eyes out and check down my timeline for um, my mum and dad's stolen dog that still isn't recovered. Tig, you could just keep an eye out. That'd be great. Um, so there's going to be a little bit more campaigns on that front. But on that, yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, what we'll do, Melissa, is we'll, we'll put links in the show notes to everything that you've referenced throughout the show. Thank you. Yeah, so so if, if, if people there, want to click through, yeah. rather than us do the whole, where can people find you? Da, 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 yeah. Go to the show notes. There will be anything that Melissa's mentioned in this week's show will be linked through in the show notes. So, so, so go through and, and have a click on those.
Melissa, thank you so much for giving up your time to, to join us on, on this week's show. It's been an absolute pleasure to drink these beers with you. Just before we get final thoughts on the, the run-in with Spectres, I do want to, to thank once again Alex at Lost and Grounded for sending us these beers. Um, as always, they've been an absolute de delight to drink. Yeah, Alex and Annie are absolute powerhouses. They're, they're brilliant. If you're ever in Bristol, make, make sure make sure you visit because it's it's well worth it's well worth it uh martin what have we got coming up next time well it's a bit of a shock to be honest <laughs> uh, we are going to be exploring the ship of theseus paradox in relation to beer uh, so we'd like to hear hear from you the listeners use hashtag opinions and tell us those beers that have changed so much since your first time but it's now like drinking a different beer however contrary to our usual uh way of doing these shows we will have a guest along again Nicest man in brewing, Mr. Andy Parker from Elusive, will be joining us with his Nexus Imperial Stout series. So what could go wrong on a Monday night with Steve and I drinking Imperial Stouts? And that is uh, an exclusive preview as, as, as well of the Nexus Imperial Stouts because they're not going to be released until the 5th of April, I think. So um, we are getting to try those first um, to bring you our thoughts on them before they, that they go live. And yes, what could possibly go wrong on a Monday night drinking three Imperial Stouts? Uh, let's just get some final thoughts on, on, on the running perspectives. I know probably we all just think it's absolutely delicious and it's gone <laughs> far too quickly. I've got nothing else to add. It's like somebody merged hot chocolate and coffee in some beautiful fizzy love child. I'm just going to leave it there. Melissa, thank you once again for, for being on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure and we will be back soon. Oh, thanks so much, guys. It's lovely to see your faces. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.